It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Today marks 22 years since the 9-11 terror attacks. That was a day that irrevocably altered the way the United States handles national security. And for a brief time, it brought us all together. And on days like this, we remember on the solemn occasion what it means to all work together to protect the homeland and to make sure that we are taking care of one another. And right now, though, we still have these growing threats from foreign adversaries. We have China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. And the fight over foreign policy has become an issue that has divided even members of the Republican Party. Joining me today to help discuss this matter and more is a very good friend of mine, Jim Garrity. And remember, this is the podcast where I call my friends to see what's going on in the world of politics so I can get briefed on a Monday and bring it to you as well. Jim is the senior political correspondent for National Review. He authors Campaign Spot and This one you've got to sign up for, the Morning Jolt newsletter. I never miss it. He also has a column at the Washington Post. He is co-host of a podcast called Three Martini Lunch, which I never miss. And so much more, including the fact that he just got back from a big trip to Ukraine. Jim Garrity, welcome to Perino on Politics. Dana, thank you very much for having me and that very generous introduction. And yes, I do a lot. Um... And if you're wondering, how do I do it all? How do I squeeze it all into the, you know, 24 hours in a day? The answer is I have no idea either. And every day there's, you know, you know, I try to keep the plates spinning. There's always one crashing to the back, you know, crashing to the ground behind me. Well, I really liked your column in the Washington Post about back to school night. Thank you. Because um, dads are trying to juggle everything, too. It it is. And it was just an observation. It was, you know, observing that, look, we've all heard the stories about the crazy shop teacher up in Canada with the giant prosthetic breasts. And if you go on libs of TikTok, you can find one crazy teacher after another boasting about how they're indoctrinating their parents and stuff. Uh, I live in Fairfax County. I am very lucky. My kids have had good experiences with their teachers throughout that. And I just, I don't doubt that the bad ones should be called out. I just would like to remember the good teachers that are out there Mm -hmm. and just kind of recognize that not every teacher you encounter is some crazed ideologue who's eager to, you know, brainwash your kid into politics. A lot of them are just trying to get through the day, trying to teach the kids, trying to overcome uh, learning loss over like in in our neck of the woods. It was one year of of schools being completely closed. And then from about like February, March 2021 to the end of that school year, June, it was like two days a week and then four days a week. It's just a lot of time, not just the education part, the uh, the socialization, the skills of dealing with your peers and how do you work out differences and all that stuff. So yeah. uh, they're still grappling with that. And uh, I think most, I'm lucky enough, my kids have you know good teachers who are trying to focus on those. I, I would say the three R's, but Dana, hasn't always bothered you that arithmetic is classified yes, as an R? I, don't, is, I never understood that. be in there somewhere? Yeah, that drives me nuts. But also my husband is British, as you know, and he they don't say arithmetic, they say maths. Plural. Mm. Plural. And when yes. I say it's yeah. math, he says, no, it's mathematics. Okay. So here's the thing. If you ever seen a British newspaper, the sports section is called sport. 
Yes. And I'm like, ah, that's where that S went. <laughs> it went from the sports to the maps. Well, talk about sports. Politics is a sport. And you mm. and I are watchers of this and observers of it. I, we are going to talk about the Republican field in a moment. But I want to talk about Joe Biden for a second. Mm. Because yesterday, Joe Biden gave a press conference in Vietnam. And I was alarmed and I'm usually not that alarmed. I could say, yeah, he's obviously he's older. He's aged. Yeah, he doesn't talk to the press that much. But when you have a press secretary have to call a press conference in the middle of it and cue the music so that the president stops talking. He was still talking and they put mm. the music on over him. I'm looking at some of these polls of the last few weeks. Uh, well, maybe the last three weeks. They're very consistent, including one from CBS News that came out last night. And it's well over 70% of voters say that they think he is too old to run again. And yeah. I was watching this, and I know that there's the Trump-Biden rematch stuff, but I was watching it, and I thought it was my first real feeling of like, wow, they are going to lose with him. And it was just a gut instinct, and I wanted to run that by you. No, that, that strikes me as a very plausible and very sensible gut instinct. Um, yes, Joe Biden beat uh, Donald Trump in 2020. And I think a lot of Democrats look at a rematch as, ah, you know what, same two guys, same two, you know, same basic situation, same strengths and weaknesses. We will be fine. Biden will win. And I don't think that's as safe a bet, even as it seemed maybe six months ago or one year ago. Biden is not going to get any younger. And we've already known for a long time, we've known this president. When he does public events, he does it from 10 a.m., no earlier, 3, maybe 4 p.m. in the afternoon, no later. Once in a while, he'll do a State of the Union or some sort of night event. But by and large, President Biden is in a situation, a state of life, where he is good for about six hours a day in front of the cameras. Now, they tell us he's working really hard when we can't see him. And, did you, you know, see the did you see the detailed point by point schedule that they put out for him in Vietnam? It was it was like he will meet with this person and then he will walk across the street and he will meet with another person. And then they're going to walk up two flights of stairs and he will meet with a third person. I was like, well, wow, you guys well, are looking on, at the polls, I guess. Dana, let's give credit where it's due. Going up those stairs really is a tough job for him. It's a good but, way to get your steps uh, like in. They've, they've had him doing, using the, there, there are two sets of stairs on Air Force One. One mm -hmm. is the one we traditionally see the president going up that long staircase to the, mm -hmm. the door that's kind of by the cockpit. And then there's one that comes out the bottom of the front and there are fewer stairs. And by the way, if the, if the White House said, you know what, the president is 80, he turns 81 in November, we have to be a little more careful with him around stairs. Okay. You know, it happens. It, it you know, I, I'm not surprised at somebody his age. We would not want to see Joe Biden take a slip and fall, uh, particularly on something hard like those steps like that. So I, I would accept it. It's a little bit ominous, but OK, fine. Um, and that's not what we're getting. They, you know, we people have se seen this. We know he's using the shorter steps. Similarly, uh, when he left that Medal of Honor uh, ceremony early. Uh, oh, before no, the benediction. The, yeah, you, when you were on America's Newsroom where we talked about this, and I said, yeah. they said that he left during a pause in the program. Well, yes, but the pause came before the closing prayer, sir. Yeah. And it just seemed weird. And if it was like, oh, you know, the president had to use the bathroom. Okay. No, right, and actually, wait, it was that he yeah. left during the pause to not expose any more people to COVID. <laughs> yeah, and that, that we don't believe. No, I don't believe you, Karine Jean-Pierre, yeah. when you say that. I'm sorry. Like, no, I look, And she's got a tough job. I, I, I mean, I don't know how I'd say it either, but I don't think I could fake it that way. And in the meantime, 
Jim, they are spending a ton of money on television ads. It sort of mm. feels like 20, it's a $25 million buy. And they were doing these commercials during the NFL kickoff. By the way, how did the Bears do? Oh, um, I got as my down. friend Greg Columbus <laughs> said, uh, he's still waiting for the Bears season to begin. Uh, I uh, haven't any, had any a chance now, to listen to Three Martini. The Bears show up yet. and play football. Yeah, so. <laughs> yes, well, I guess the Giants were worse, maybe? Yes. Okay. Yes, they did. Okay. And uh, as a Jets fan, that gives me a slightly warm feeling. Listeners, we are taping this before the Jets play. So if that's they get right. crushed by the Bills, this is that's just karma coming and biting me in the butt. But what do you um, think about spending $25 million on advertising right now? I was going to say, look, it is September, more than a year before the presidential election. You know, as much as there's a lot of buzz and excitement around Robert F. Kennedy, you look at any polling numbers, he's at 10, maybe 15 percent. Right. He's not a serious threat. Um, this, you, the Biden shouldn't really need to do this. And so you kind of wonder if, is this one like trying to set the battlefield for, for the 2024 election and or get that approval rating up, which is generally in the low forties and the good ones around 40, most of them sometimes in the high thirties. That's, that's lousy. That's, you know, in an ordinary mm -hmm. set of circumstances, you look at that and say, oh, this, this incumbent president is toast. Uh, usually the incumbent, you know, incumbent has a significant advantage heading into a, a mid, a, a reelection bid, but you have to have done a good job. And one of the things that I think is just fascinating is how much, pretty much all summer long, Biden has been beating the drum on this concept of Bidenomics, right? That he wants to run on his economic record. He wants to say, hey, look, America, look at how the stock market's doing. Look at the unemployment rate. Aren't things going great? And the answer is no, Americans don't feel like things are going great, even if the year over year inflation rate it's now around 3%, which, which is better than it was, you know, 9% a year ago. It's still a little higher than that 2% that they go aim for. But the prices haven't come down. So Americans still go to the grocery mm -hmm. store. They still go to the gas pump. Mm -hmm. And they're like, holy smokes, this is expensive. And as long as people are feeling that, they're not going to feel good about the state of the economy. Oh, by the way, you know, notice the fact that um, credit card debt has now surpassed $1 trillion in this country. Right. Higher than it's ever been. And car and insurance, yeah, car yeah. insurance is up. Uh -huh. Home insurance is up. And a friend of mine described this was um, a few weeks ago. Described being at the grocery store and watching uh, the woman in front of him. She was in scrubs, so she worked in the healthcare field, and she was buying. Um, it was clear she had younger children because a lot of the items in the cart had children-type food in it. Mm -hmm. And I, obviously, I don't have kids. I mean, is it kids' food? <laughs> um, if it's and, Lunchables, you're probably you're probably not in adulthood. I'll, I'll grant you and that. And he said you could sense her anxiety mm. as the items were being rung up because she had to make some choices. And she asked the clerk to stop for a moment, took out some items and he said, I'll get these another day. And that's Ugh. not a good feeling to have no. when you are working in healthcare and you're trying to raise the kids and, and and when the inflation anxiety is bearing down on you at all times, it's no wonder Biden's numbers don't go up. And I see the media trying to say, but guys, don't you see that the economy is so much better than Russia and China? Mm. Like actually nobody, she doesn't care about that. No, I was gonna say that, um, you know, you'll hear when when this this disparate, you know, Democrats will point to a low unemployment rate and say, oh, you know, is, the economy is doing so well. Why isn't Biden getting enough credit? And, you know, the, the, a lot of times we get really angry at the electorate, like, you know, oh, you you fools, you ingrates, you don't realize how good you have it. Mm -hmm. Well, as, as you mentioned, that people have an idea in their heads of what is a normal amount to pay. They go to the grocery store once a week, twice a week, something like that. And for when they fill up their tank. 
I've been fascinating to watch. Apparently, the Biden administration is really, really concerned about gas prices not surpassing $4 a gallon. They believe, and I think it's a pretty decent uh, assessment, that that's kind of a psychological threshold that once it's past that. But here's the thing. For a lot of the summer, at least in my neck of the woods, we had gas around like 390, 395. That's not great. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's still pretty darn expensive. And so the idea of, oh, maybe they won't notice if it's not at $4 a gallon. You know what? When gas is, you know, 397, 392, something like that, people notice. And, and what's and strange don't. is that last week, in order to shore up their left wing base, they cut off all oil and gas exploration yes. in a certain very resource rich uh, area of Alaska. The the Biden administration has many problems, but one of them is that they love to spike the football at the slightest hint of good news. (laughs) That is true. And declare the problem solved. And very rarely do things shake out the way they expected. Well, that is a great way to wrap up this segment. But before we head to the break, I've got a candidate quotable. So, Jim, you don't have to answer this. We'll give the answer in the next break. But let's see. uh, Whisper it to me if you know. Which presidential candidate is responsible for the following statement? There's a new axis of evil. It's China, it's Russia, it's Iran, and it's North Korea. They want to destroy America. They want to destroy our friends. We need to be smart. We need to be strategic. And we need to understand what real national security is. We'll have that answer coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Welcome back to Perino on politics. Okay, Jim, let's talk about the Republicans for a little bit. What do you make of the current field? I will tell you right now for the debate on September 27th, and I will be one of the moderators of that. We have six candidates that have qualified for the debate. One, two, three, four, five, six. That has not changed. That could change between now and then, but because they increase the polling requirement, it's a little bit more difficult for somebody like Asa Hutchison to get on Mm -hmm. the stage. Well, first of all, I already know one winner. Uh, you are a terrific choice for one of the moderators, and I hope that they Thank you. Uh, learn from from the excellent job you will do. Thank you. Um, it's new I, for me, so that, I feel though, like my brain is a little bit like a pinball machine right now. But I'll take. I appreciate the vote of confidence. Yeah, um, I, I regret to inform listeners that this is not a terribly dramatic Republican presidential primary. Uh, this when the cycle began. Donald Trump was the leader, uh, the front runner, the most likely person, uh, and that there was, you know, the person who had the best shot of knocking him off was Ron DeSantis. And everybody else was well behind. Not much has changed there other than maybe the argument that DeSantis has pulled back towards the rest of the of the pack. And I don't want to poo-poo any of the uh, 1% candidates who picked up speed. I mean, like, if you want to say uh, Ramaswamy has done something impressive by going from zero to seven, eight, nine percent in a couple of these national polls. Yeah, that is that is impressive, you know, uh, starting from nothing. Um, but, you know, that's you know, when Trump is at 50 or 60 percent, that's not he's not on the verge of overtaking Trump or anything like that. So uh, it's been a, it's been dull. Now, maybe as we get closer, people start tuning in and changing their minds. But I, I really think you look at focus groups, you look at uh, poll numbers, look at all this stuff. Roughly half the Republican Party has been has known exactly who they wanted to vote for since Biden's inauguration, that they that the entire time they wanted to vote for Donald Trump and they are not interested 
Never mind the argument that DeSantis can make or Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or Mike Pence or any of these other folks can make. They are come hell or high water. Donald Trump is their guy. And they are not they're not worried that Donald Trump would not be as competitive in the general election as some of these other options. I still think, by the way, that's a um, that's generally true. I, I don't think for reasons we discussed about Biden's age in the previous segment. I don't think Trump's winning in 2024 is impossible. And I think as Biden ages and looks worse, that certainly becomes, you know, the idea of the country saying, well, we don't like Trump, but let's roll the dice on him again. Or we liked the, you know, Trump economy up until the pandemic. Uh, it's certainly a possibility. It's not a great possibility. And I kind of feel like it's, it's way, you know, very similar to 2016, needing that, you know, royal flush or inside straight or whatever, you know, gambling metaphor you prefer. Uh, you, know, you need Trump to have just enough votes in just enough states to win the Electoral College. It's very hard to imagine Trump winning the national popular vote. Again, we don't have a national popular vote, but you'd prefer to, you know, win more votes than the other guy. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bury Ron DeSantis. There's still some time out there. And I think a big question will be how he does in this next debate, since I think the last debate didn't do much for him. I don't, I don't think the first debate really did much for anybody other than kind of introduce the candidates to, to the audience. But I think, you know, at some point during this process, it is very likely that Trump and DeSantis will be on some stage, maybe at a televised debate, maybe some candidate forum or something like that. Mm. And whatever happens between those two guys, if lightning's going to strike, that's going to be it. If there's going to be some dramatic moment that gets people to reconsider their options, that's going to be it. But I got to be honest, week by week, you know, it just looks like roughly half the party they, they've made up their minds, and this entire primary is going to be over pretty darn quickly. What about, though, DeSantis does seem to have some really good organization in Iowa. Does that matter? Mm -hmm. Oh, it does. I mean, let's remember, though, that Ted Cruz beat uh, Trump back in Iowa uh, in 2016. Yep. And, of course, Trump responded in his traditional manner of insisting that there had to have been cheating involved and the results weren't legitimate and that, you know, he, he was the true winner, uh, foreshadowing of what was going to come in 2020. I, look, I think it's conceivable that, uh, look, you know, DeSantis can can take a victory in Iowa and then try to turn it into momentum. I also think, look, when I say roughly half the party is, you know, uh, completely devoted to Trump, it still means that roughly half the party isn't and that they're open to other options. And if they consolidate behind one alternative, uh, then that's then that's good. And I don't mean to poo poo the candidates who are at one percent, the Doug Burgums of the world. Look, they're all perfectly good people. And, you know, they deserve their chance to make their case. But most of these guys have been running for at least two and a half months. A couple of them, it's been, you know, closer to four five, six months. Yeah. They've been out there. They've been making they've been traveling through Iowa. They've been traveling through New Hampshire. And they're still in the low to mid single digits. And some of them are in the asterisk category. Yeah. I, I believe in that one. It's it's a sign that you may not exist uh, in, in the polls. Um, <laughs> With an asterisk. So I, I kind of feel like for these guys, if you've if you've been running for a bunch of months and you're still in asterisk asterisk territory, it's probably time to say thank you. Clearly, it wasn't my cycle, and mm -hmm. go find something else to and, do. And maybe get to. behind somebody. You know, make a choice. Yeah, you know, like right. at some point, literally, all of these guys who are running are running and not conceding to Donald Trump. Right. So you'd think that they would, you know, when they drop out, they would say, okay, you know what, you know, DeSantis is the guy who's close. I'm going to endorse sure. this guy. Conceivably, you know, maybe it's Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or somebody else like that. But I also, like, I also kind of wonder how many contests do you need to be in. If you're in the asterisk in these, you know, uh, polls, like you're you're not going to jump to 30 percent in the in the next week. It's just not you know, politics does not change that way. It doesn't. You don't see somebody go from nothing to you know a large get you know large enough to get uh, some delegates level 
uh, overnight. And that's what a bunch of these guys are kind of, you know, yeah. counting on, which is feels pretty unrealistic. All right. That ends segment two. We will be right back. But before I go, here is the answer to your candidate quotable. There's a new axis of evil. It's China. It's Russia. It's Iran. And it's North Korea. They want to destroy America. They want to destroy our friends. We need to be smart. We need to be strategic. And we need to understand what real national security is. Yes, that is former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley. Don't go away. More Perino on politics up next. We're back with Perino on politics. We want to take this segment for me to ask this question, Jim, like, what am I missing? And I'm going to tell you two things that are on my mind. I'm not missing the Ukraine-Russia discussion. I'm curious what you think is next on that front. But the other thing is these reports about artificial intelligence and its use and possible abuse or misuse in the political cycle of 2024. Those two things are on my mind in this segment. So first, maybe you could tell me, what should I be looking for? What am I missing in the discussion about Ukraine? You just got back and you wrote very movingly about it. Yeah. Um, by the way, I'd love to say, aha, uh-huh, Dana, here I have found the secret treasure chest of really important information that will determine the outcome of the 2024 election. I found it. No one else has. And here it is. But I have not. Um, I, I, so I, I, uh, but I think you raised two really good and interesting questions. I, I, I periodically wonder if Donald Trump had, as soon as Russia had invaded Ukraine, if Trump had said, that bastard Putin, he told me he was going to do this, you know, screw him, let's go Zelensky, let's help Ukraine, whether there would be that much of an anti-helping mm-hmm. uh, Ukraine sentiment sure. in the Republican Party. Um, it is worth noting that would you, if you if you were to judge from social media, you would think the Republican Party was overwhelmingly opposed to helping Ukraine. If you look at the votes in Congress, the overwhelming, the, the Republican Party lawmakers in the House are still overwhelming. You could you have a couple. You have the MTGs and all that stuff, but almost any Republican on the Armed Services Committee or dealing with foreign policy still supports Ukraine, still wants, in fact, usually will give the Biden administration grief for not sending arms fast enough and for sitting back and dithering on things like the Patriot missiles and F-16s and things like that. So I was over there for a little bit more than a week, spoke to a lot of Ukrainians, um, and they are convinced they are going to win. None of them has any illusions that this this war is going to end anytime soon. Uh, while I was over there, I can't say anybody had any great insight as to how things were going into the front and the, the counteroffensive. Uh, it looks like they are making slow and steady progress. They've broken through the lines at at least one point. But, uh, you know, look, they are outmanned, uh, have fewer guns. They have better technology. That's the one advantage they have. But they also don't have uh, control of the skies. They don't have air support. They aren't able to bomb the opposition into uh, into, you know, uh, the way that the U.S. military usually tries to do in its military operations. So you add all that up, it's kind of amazing that they've managed to do anything in this counteroffensive. And yet you also kind of recognize that, first of all, they delayed this. The, the spring offensive came very close to being a summer offensive. They pushed this off as, as late as they could, waiting for the weapons shipments from the West. Um, and I think they recognized they had to do something this year Uh, You couldn't spend another year just simply defending and training and preparing for something like this. Again, that having been said, you know, credit the Ukrainians for going up against a very high degree of difficulty here. The the Mm -hmm. Russians have had the better part of six months to a year to, you know, lay landmines, to build up defenses, to dig every conceivable defense that you can possibly do there. 
Um, again, I, I, I didn't see any reason to disagree with the Ukrainians that I spoke to. This is not, this war is not getting done in six months. This war is not right. getting done in a year. And oh, by yeah. the way, for anybody who thinks, as uh, Ramaswamy had suggested, well, I'm just going to sit down with Putin and we're going to hammer out a peace treaty. One, do the Ukrainians get consulted in any of this or they just get told what the peace is going to be? Uh, secondly, I can also tell you, having talked to so many Ukrainians out there, they're not interested in sitting down and talking. They've had too many of their fellow citizens suffer war crimes. They have had these. You're asking them to sit down and negotiate with the men who raped their grandmothers and the men who raped their granddaughters. And I am not. That's not a metaphor. That is not a heavy handed. That's actually what has happened here. And everybody in Ukraine has some story. Everybody in Ukraine knows somebody who has died. Every, you know, there was a. Uh, as soon as the moment you asked me this, Dana, I knew I was going like, to have like, you know, your, your podcast go on for seven hours if you're telling <laughs> stories here. Right. So I'll try to keep it succinct. But um, uh, there's a town up in the northwest corner near the Belarusian border named Kobol. I spoke to the mayor up there. As of our conversation back, you know, two, three weeks ago, uh, he the, the town had buried 47 men. Um, which And it's not a big town. It's like 77,000 people. It's like Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And so you think about that. This this is their Vietnam. This is their World War II. Everybody, you know, and I, it's one of those things where like, could the day come where the Ukrainians are willing to negotiate? Yeah, maybe, uh, but not now and mm-hmm. not probably, I think, for a long while. They are furious. And also, by the way, keep in mind, Russia is occupying 20% of the country or so. Sure. And, you know, kids are being shipped back to Russia. Uh, you know, widespread rapes, widespread human rights abuses, like mm-hmm. You know, there's nobody's interested in sitting down and finding some reasonable compromise right. with a force that would do something like that. Right. So anyway, that's that's my sense of the dynamics over wow. there. Um, I, I re- I'm glad I could end this on such a cheery well, one. Well, no, so we're gonna, we're, that's not that, going to be the end because we're going to talk about AI, yeah. which is so exciting. Well, I was going to say, and, then and, Skynet and, and, will, will I, solve the problem. I would recommend everyone go back and look at Jim Garrity's work on National Review. Um, his very... I would say they're moving pieces that you wrote about Ukraine, but they're also some of you've got a great turn of phrase and one of the best writers of your generation and a pleasure to know. Um, Artificial intelligence. So Axios had a poll that said half of Americans are fearful that AI spread misinformation will impact the 2024 election results. And no one's really sure how there's. Congress is not going to regulate this. Google has said we'll put a little watermark thing, which is, I guess, a good thing to do and smart, I guess. But we are entering into a very strange time with political communication, Jim. We are. Uh, And if you're looking for a silver lining on this, I would point out that as far as we know, most of the attempts at using artificial intelligence to generate false images or false audio have been picked out pretty quickly. Um, Earlier this year, I guess it was a web ad by the uh, DeSantis campaign had used created images of Trump embracing Dr. Fauci, mm-hmm. which really struck me as like gilding the lily because we, we were all there. We saw Trump standing alongside Dr. Fauci. I think it's safe to say that at least for the first couple of months of the pandemic, Trump and Fauci were in relative agreement. Uh, as it kind of wore on, you could see a little more friction between the two of them. But it's kind of you got to squint and look hard to find cases where Trump defied Fauci or you know, told Fauci, you're wrong and I'm not going to go along with this. So I think DeSantis had a good argument. You didn't need to put a picture of them hugging. Mm-hmm. The fact whether they hugged or not doesn't really matter. Like the important thing is that Fauci gave advice and Trump, by and large, followed it. Similarly, um, I've seen, you know, people do but AI can do amazing things with voices. Um, yes. And I think I've seen somebody online who did a picture of like, you know, 
the, the, the slogan was something like Trump has fought for this country in ways other people can't imagine. And it depicted him in the woods in jungle fatigues like Rambo. Um, and it would one, it would be a more uh, convincing picture if he didn't have six fingers on each hand. Uh, and then secondly, the American flag was not an American flag. Right. You know, the AI could not. Get but it's getting more sophisticated. Right. So, mm. again, I don't have a good answer here, but it's something that I'm paying attention to. And I'm sure well, you are, too. We've lived in an era of Photoshop. We've lived mm-hmm. in an era of impersonators and things like that. So I, this way, we've seen attempts to do this sort of thing. People know that seeing is not necessarily believing. They know video can be altered. They know audio can be altered. They, they've heard a million and one interviews cropped and edited to, to you know, create a false impression and things like that. So, so well, maybe it will be that the, the electorate is somewhat prepared for efforts yes. to fool them. We'll just say voter beware. Yes. Okay, I have, before I let you go, a little pop quiz, super easy. You can choose between these three categories, presidential potpourri, Dana Reed sports, or debate debacles. Oh, my goodness. I feel like I'm on... Uh... I feel like I'm on on Jeopardy, and my you are my you could be my I might quickly be my uh, favorite host. Uh, Aaron Rodgers quickly jumped ahead now that he's quarterback. He was good, chance. yeah. I, I will go in that theme. I will go with Dana Reed Sports. All right. And if I don't get this, I'm going to feel really foolish. Which golf tournament did Tiger Woods win by 12 strokes, cementing his first ever major championship win? Was it one the PGA Tour, two the Masters, or three the Bachelors? Because the only ones where I've watched Tiger Woods is the Masters, I'm going to go with the Masters, uh, but I, I could be wrong. That's my shot. And you got it. It was yeah, the yeah, Masters. Okay. Thank you. And it's... wore red on the final day. That much I remember. Honored to have you on Perino on Politics. Thank you so much. I know you'll be an audience favorite, so we'll have you back in a few weeks or so to see what you're thinking then. Until then, make sure that you check out Jim Garrity at National Review. Anywhere else, Jim? Uh, I write columns roughly once a week or so for the Washington Post. I am on X, formerly Twitter, <laughs> at Jim Garrity. And, uh, you know, that's those are the general place. Oh, and if, uh, Greg Columbus and I talk about uh, the day's events on the Three Martini Lunch podcast. It's a great podcast. Taped by Radio America, available wherever you get fine podcasts. Great. It's almost as good as this one. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.